Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Roy goes in after it, shoulder to shoulder with Lekin and wins. It creates a two-on-one. Kopitar with Kempe. Kopitar to Kempe. Score! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Adrian Kempe turning the corner into the zone. Feeds Byfield down the wing. Santerich. Score! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. It's Monday, so we're crowning another King of the Week. Then I'm joined by Omri Amrani, the sculptor behind the Dustin Brown statue outside of Crypto.com Arena. There's only five weeks left in the season, and we've got conversations with Gavrikov, Corpusalo, McEwen, Matthias Nordstrom, Jack Han, Nick Nixon, Jim Fox, and more coming directly to you between now and that end of the season. So if you're not already subscribed, now's the time. Just a reminder that if you want to hear more direct quotes and clips from Todd McClellan and LA Kings players, the pregame radio show, LA Kings Game Night, that I host on iHeartRadio, and Kings Talk, the LA Kings post-game show are both available as downloadable podcasts. You can find those and other Kings audio on the LA Kings Insider audio channel at lakings.com slash podcast. And if you've got any feedback, questions, comments, whatever it may be, you can reach out at kingsmenpodcast at gmail.com or across any social media platform. It's always kingsmenpodcast. And if you see me at a Kings game, just... Come by and say hi. You're not bothering me, I promise you. All right. Time for another King of the Week. Time to crown a King of the Week. Joining me to do that, Andrew Knoll. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Jesse? Excellent. Thank you. A quick reminder, if people want to follow your work, Andrew, where can they find you? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Knoll, N-H-L. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-K-N-O-L-L. And, of course, at the Los Angeles Daily News, OC Register, and all the SCNG papers. Excellent. All right. So, King of the Week time, who is your honorable mention? Well, much as uh, John Madden put six legs in the turducken to get every lineman plus the <laughs> tight end, I'm going to do a little tripartite component to the uh, second runner up here, I guess. So we have Gavrikov, Korpisala, and McEwen. I think you can't really divorce them. I mean, guys that came in, obviously – relieved to leave less competitive situations but it's always difficult to go through the upheaval of a trade and i thought all three of them handled it really well i think that's an excellent choice i'm still sort of curious about um todd McEwen. we've seen gavrikov slide in and be sort of exactly what was needed corpusal is a goalie no really sophisticated conversation needed there todd McEwen. 
I've seen him play now, uh, is it three games, two games? Um, and I'm still sort of curious what his ceiling might be. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about Zach is that uh, he is coming off that broken jaw. So mm-hmm. you know, you're bringing in somebody to kind of provide muscle and get in anybody's face. He's, he's probably still limited in that regard. Um, and he's also been playing sparingly, six, seven minutes a night, I guess. So uh, we'll we'll see on that. But I, I think he uh, it's clear what, what he could bring to the table. But, uh, yeah, we haven't really gotten a, a clear look at it yet. Yeah, and I certainly don't mean that in any sort of uh, negative way. I just mean, like you said, with the jaw protector, and he was out of the lineup for, I think it was three and a half weeks or something like that. So not only is he coming to a new team, but coming off of an injury. Um, so be very curious to see what he can provide. My honorable mention is Mikey Anderson with two goals and a plus four on the week. Um, two goals, which doubles <laughs> his career high from last season. Um, that's four goals now for Mikey Anderson and goals that came sort of out of nowhere and yet were very nice. I mean, Mikey Anderson is not the kind of guy you expect offense out of. Um, so nice to see him get it done and, and not, they were not lucky goals that bounced off of three, you know, body parts and then a stick or that trickled in off of a whiff. They were, they were nice shots. Um, and as always playing defense stoutly, uh, you know, the team, has gotten very good at preventing the other team from scoring. And Mikey Anderson is a huge part of that. So honorable mention to Mikey Anderson. And I guess we got another HM, right? We do two and then the, is, or has the format changed since I was last on? Uh, you can have another one if you want, but I was just going with the one this week. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I guess we'll do another little shout out uh, to uh, Francisco X Rivera and Nano Cortez. Who had been busy <laughs> okay. Lately. okay. Uh, yeah. Got a little stretch here where we're getting some two Liga broadcasts and uh, always uh, appreciate what those guys do, not only with the Kings, but uh, all over the uh, Hispanophone Southern California sports community. So uh, really happy to uh, to see them thriving and uh, wait for the day that they do all the home games. I think that'll be a great change. I, I'm sort of embarrassed at the moment. Is it is Hispanophone? <laughs> I knew Francophone, Anglophone. Uh, I guess I'd never done the math in my head, but Hispanophone, is that that's speakers of of Spanish? Yeah, that is correct. And then Lucifone okay. would be Portuguese and so on. Yeah. So I'm sorry, uh, which which yeah. would be Portuguese? I believe it's Lucifone, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in a position to contradict you, so I'll take <laughs> your word for it. Uh all right. In that case, do you have uh, a runner up? Uh do I have a winner, right? Uh, well, we go uh, honorable mention, runner up, then king of the week. So, are, are oh, you? Okay. Well, that that was my runner up. Okay, no problem. Then I will do my. <laughs> in that case, I'll do my runner up. Uh, my runner up is uh, is Phil Deneau, uh with uh, I believe three goals this week. Also, uh, or not a plus four. Sorry, just a plus, just a plus three. But Phil Deneau, uh on that second line, um, coming through and providing that secondary offense. It feels like we've always been talking about Byfield, Kopitar, and Kempe for the last month or so. And uh, Phil Deneau with three goals in a week where the Kings go 2-0-1. Big week for Phil Deneau, alternate captain, uh, MV Phil, as we say. And so uh, my runner-up, Phil Deneau. Andrew, who is your King of the Week then? Well, I think we had a lot of overlap here. I mean, obviously Deneau had a great week, Kempe, Kopitar. Uh, I went with Anderson. 
So, you know, okay, there you go. (laughs) Honored by both of us, just a little bit different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the same reasons. I mean, he gets two goals in three games. Oddly enough, his other two goals came in a short span, I think four games Mm -hmm. uh, earlier this season. Um, But, you know, even beyond that, that's just kind of uh, a pretext to recognize him, maybe in a cumulative sense, because he's been phenomenal this year. I mean, doing a lot of the heavy lifting, you know, he's back to getting a ton of D zone starts. He's been over 20 minutes a night awesome denying entries going into corners uh, yeah i mean he's just been superb defensively so a little bit of an offensive outburst gives us a, an opportunity to recognize him i think well i i obviously approve since i had him as my honorable mention but uh unfortunately andrew the correct answer this week <laughs> is is adrian kempe um with uh, four points leading the team in scoring over these three games and a plus four three goals and one assist and We'll get into this in a in a second here, but uh, Adrian Kempe, Andre Kopitar, and Quentin Byfield have been carrying this team for a few weeks, and that's what you want out of a top line. And last year, there were questions about whether or not the top line was, in fact, a top line. Deneau, Arvidsson, and Moore were carrying a lot of the offensive load for a while. They they were relying on the, the second line and the fourth line for long stretches, but since I think it's December 27th when that line was combined. Um, Kopitar and Kempe are among the league leading scorers since that, since Quentin Byfield was added to the top line. And, you know, I think Adrian Kempe is on pace for 40 goals. If it's not 40, it's just under 40 goals. So no regression in his game and really showing this week, um, why he's worth every penny they pay him. So congratulations to Adrian Kempe, this week's king of the week. Now, Andrew, that top line actually didn't manage to score uh, in the game against the uh, Nashville Predators. I almost called them the Arizona Coyotes for some reason. Um, but that game was a bit of a mess. You were there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was kind of a running joke that it rains on every game day. But <laughs> now it's not quite as funny. And, you know, the humidity, also the fact that the Clippers played in the afternoon, um, that that didn't bode well for the ice surface, and it's obviously not the first time we've seen those kind of issues at Crypto.com Arena. A couple of games ago, I think McClellan described it as uh, standing in the bunker of a golf course, mm-hmm. uh, which is not the way you want an NHL ice surface to feel. So um, hopefully the weather and other conditions cooperate with that going forward, because we've seen a couple of pretty sloppy games as a result of that. Yeah, it was was a tough watch for me because. I don't know, maybe five minutes into the second or eight minutes into the second, I was sort of done with the game because it was clearly such an, a, a bad game, right? I saw people refer to it as sloppy and referencing the ice conditions. And maybe if I was still independent and not an employee of the team, I would have felt more comfortable pointing it out. But in the midst of a game, I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to go on, <laughs> on social media and say, yeesh. The, you know, this playing condition, cause then you're throwing people under the bus and it's not great. But after the game, the players, as politely as they could, made reference to the fact that the puck was bouncing all over the place and passes weren't connecting and it was just wasn't happening. And then Todd McClellan in the post game press conference, you know, said it directly that it, it wasn't great. Um, so, you know, there are these random losses or in this case, loss in the shootout. And I, I hesitate to say I don't care. 
about the loss, but given the Kings' place in the standings, given their strong play of late, and given the fact that it's not as if Nashville was dominating them or taking it to them, it was just two teams really struggling, I really didn't care that the game didn't go well. Now, I didn't have to pay for a ticket, so I could imagine someone's perspective being totally different if they had or if they had to get a sitter to come out and, you know, they had one opportunity to go watch a game. That's always disappointing, but from a purely does this, you know, does the result matter to the overall, you know, health health of the franchise? I, I really didn't care. Yeah, and I mean, we saw a similar game that they that they won against Montreal a couple games earlier that was... Mm-hmm. You know, same type of thing where you see guys wiping out unprompted. You know, nobody laid a finger on them, and right. they're going down to the ice. Uh, so you know, yeah, I mean, you you try and get the points out of those. Which to have two games like that and get three out of four points from them, you'll uh, I think take that every time. But like you said, there's not a whole lot to analyze when you're just kind of trying to get through the final horn. And there's also not a whole lot to complain about right now. I mean, they've got. 11 wins, points in 13 out of the last 15. I think they're tied with Boston for the second best points percentage since since they came out of the All-Star break. Um, special teams are decent. PP has been dry lately, but the PK is in the middle of the pack, which is an improvement. I mean, you look since January 1, it's right in the middle. Uh, yeah, there's really not, not a whole lot to complain about at the moment. So I'm just, as you were saying that, I was looking at the standings and I noticed something that I don't particularly um, appreciate. Before the game against the Predators, they were a plus eight in goal differential. They're now a plus seven, but they lost in a shootout. I was not aware that shootout goals uh, or the differential of a shootout impacted your plus minus your goal differential in in the standings. I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that at all. It is odd because for individual players, skaters and goalies, it does not impact their statistics. Right. But I guess because it does go toward the final score, they determine that for goal differential it counts. Uh, so a little bit of a, this yet another messy component of adding the shootout. Yeah, that's dumb. I don't like that. Um, especially since I think goal differential eventually is one of the tiebreakers. It might be yes. like fourth or fifth down the list, but still. Um yeah, I don't like that. Sorry, I that was a total non sequitur from what you were saying. It just caught no my eye as you were talking about it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Getting three out of four points out of this and the Montreal game. And I think Todd McClellan mentioned it, I want to say, in the post game after the Predators game. Because of the way the standings are laid out in both the Central and the Pacific, the Kings' first round opponent could almost be anybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at the Western Conference. I was thinking about that. You know, we're doing a preview recently. This is. The way this could shake out with the way that both divisions are tight and the wild card race is tight, mm-hmm. you really look at the field and they could be matched up with just about anybody, you know, the seven teams that make it. So um, I think you always have to go into the playoffs with the mentality that you've got to go through everybody to become the champion. But in this case, it's a, a, a bit more literal. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, but I mean, they could, although Vegas is now three points ahead of them in the Pacific, it's still not outside of the realm of possibility that the Kings could win the Pacific division, uh, if not the entire Western conference, but they could also just as easily be a wildcard team. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I think that that on one hand, you know, that could be nerve wracking for a fan, but I think for the team, 
it really does place your focus on what's right in front of your nose or into small little details. Like I know Bruce Boudreaux told me they used to break it into one week segments and have mm-hmm. goal for the week and things like that. Um, yeah, I think it makes it a little bit easier to compartmentalize because, you know, if you look at the big picture, you're just going to drive yourself nuts. I think it was the 2011-2012 season where Daryl Sutter, after he came in, broke the season down into seven-game stretches, like little mini playoff series. Right. Um, so, yeah, and obviously Todd McClellan has said that they're not focused on seeding or opponent. They're, at this point, still just trying to make it into the playoffs, which is cliche, but exactly what you'd want a coaching staff and the players to say at this point in the season. Um, before we let you go, Andrew Noel, final thoughts on the addition of Quentin Byfield to that top line of Adrian Kempe and Andre Kopitar. Well, it's been phenomenal, obviously. I mean, for Q, first and foremost, I think it's really kind of simplified his job. He has now become more of a puck recovery guy. And if you look at it, his retrievals, his recoveries have been way up as far as, you know, his place among the team relative to where they were before. And uh, yeah, I think it's just taken a lot of the guesswork out of his job it has shortened his progressions and he's responded really well uh when he's been able to use his size and his skill and his tenacity and not have to factor in so many different things that you have as a as a center in terms of responsibilities in terms of danger going over the middle and that sort of thing yeah i think that's really allowed him to flourish and then earlier we were talking about you know some question as far as Kempe heading into last season. I think even coming into this season, there was question, would there be regression? Would he justify the extension? Would he go beyond that? And it seems like he's gone beyond that. I mean, he's crossed the 30-goal threshold, the 50-point threshold for the second straight season, and he's going to cruise right past those. And, uh, you know, it's more than just his statistics, too, because what he does on entries, what he does as far as creating tempo, uh, that's always been very valuable. So, um, yeah, he's kept on keeping on. Kopi obviously has been a beacon of consistency for 15 years now. And uh, yeah, it's been great to see Q finding a spot on that line as well. Last season, Adrian Kempe, 1.4 goals per 60. This year, 1.5. And his points per 60 last year, 2.2. This year, 2.4. So like we said, no regression. And <laughs> I can't remember when it was earlier in the year. But Todd, Todd McClellan, of all people, pointed out that I think Adrian Kempe had something like eight empty net goals or nine empty net goals last year in an attempt to sort of say, like, maybe tamp down expectations on him. Um, not nearly as many empty net goals this year. So his his number's not inflated by uh, by empty net goals, whatever that's worth. Andrew Noll, thank you so much for joining me, as always. My pleasure. Joining me now from the Roblat Omrani Studios, Omri Omrani, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good in the snow of Chicago. <laughs> well, uh, it's raining here if it makes you feel any better. Uh, you, uh, you are responsible for the statue of Dustin Brown, as well as many other statues outside of Crypto.com Arena. Uh, uh, yes. Now, I, we're going to start talking about the Dustin Brown statue, but I read a few interviews with you. I read your Wikipedia page. I checked out the Roblat Amrani studio page, and I find you to be very fascinating. So this conversation has the potential to get into some stuff. Um, but let's start with the Dustin Brown statue uh, that was unveiled on February uh, 11th. 
2023. How much time did you spend, how much time do you like to spend with the subject of a statue if you're making a sculpture of a living person? Um, it's, um, some, some people are very easy to sculpt. Uh, some people, unfortunately, are not alive anymore. Um, some people are difficult because, for example, uh, some sportsmen are accumulating a lot of uh, weight, stress, and change. And as soon as they retired, suddenly they change completely. Weight, sure. stature, etc. So uh, you have to assess it in the in the first place. Ideally, I would say a year to a year and a half. It's a decent uh, time for a project as such. Did you meet with Dustin and his wife Nicole, or or anybody else, to get their feedback, or were you given freedom to? to create on your own? Uh, we have to understand that uh, this is not the first sculpture of dusting that we're doing. Right. There's the, first the 15th one, anniversary the, the, one. Exactly. So we met, uh, we had a, a chance to meet the team uh, in a way before uh, I did not meet Dustin and his wife before, before we finished that project. Uh, I took it as it is, understanding what's the important and what's the goal and pursued it in that way. And what I did, I, uh, in the studio, I asked one of the artists, Sean Bell, who actually was born in California, to join me and be a partner on the sculpture. You've also uh, done the statue of Luke Robitaille, uh, as well as... Uh, that's Julie, my wife, did. Uh, sometime uh, since the Michael Jordan project, uh, Julie and I, uh, you know, we make decision who picks what, and we're going with that. And your son is also involved, Correct. Uh, nowadays, Itamar has his own dealing with his own business. He, uh, for a while was working in California on, uh, as a part of the team on the George Lucas Museum. Uh, he was involved in the 50th anniversary, uh, project, but nowadays he's more into his endeavor to develop his own career. You've created a number of different pieces in a number of different mediums. When you're creating a piece like this, which is designed to honor a very specific person um, in a very specific moment of their life, is there meaning that you yourself as an artist can imbue into the work, or are you just trying to recreate a memory that, that thousands of people share? Well, in that case, uh, I would say sometime I even have to remove uh, completely the meaning of being an artist and dedicate to the moment to try to replicate the moment instead of trying to be a, a creative. Sometime you can go and uh, 
and be very creative. If you look at the pieces around Staples, uh, for example, if you look at, at the champion piece, it's a very creative piece. It has mm-hmm. a lots of uh, movement, a lots of movement, a lot of different material. But sometimes it's the moment that everybody remember, especially with the legacy of the kings, where where the first time somebody is kind of a, a has a chance to raise up the the tro- uh, you know the the Stanley Cup, it's it's a moment that it's unforgettable, you know, and and uh, you got to commit for it. Simple as that. I was looking through some of your previous works and uh, against the wind is one that stood out to me, the the marathon runner. Um, uh, it feels like this project wasn't an opportunity to, to do something like that. Well, Against the Wind, it's, uh, I consider in the fine art world as one of the uh, top of the letter piece that is an artist ever achieved for many reasons, because... Uh, first of all, I did not commit to create a 360 figure for myself. It was not a commission. It was a creation piece. So I took Dionysius Soron as a, uh, the Mexican marathon runner. And first of all, I sculpted his entire figure. And then I sculpted over him the motion of leaves, which flying with the wind, that leaves actually represent the wind. But then I eliminated his body and only the print of his body is printed into the leaves like his spirit. Like he already, his body disintegrated into the universe, but his spirit is running against the wind. So basically what you get there is a spirit against the wind, which coming actually from Hebrew, which is two equal words, ruach against ruach. Ruach HaTeva, which is the wind of the nature, and Ruach HaAdam, which is a human spirit. So what you get is a collision between two non-materials that are representing crossing beyond the fourth dimension into the fifth dimension. Uh, I don't know if your viewer will not get bored by now, but for me me it was one of the top pieces I ever done. Well, I'm not bored, so they're not bored, I promise you. Uh, one of the things that's fascinated me um, about sports, and the older I get, the more I feel this, is uh, you know you were born in Israel, you served in the Israeli army, I was born in Canada, but grew up in Southern California. So our experiences with Judaism, I imagine, are very different, and yet you know, you're talking about Ruach and, and these things that, that resonate, you know, with memories from my childhood. And one of the things that sports and specifically the Kings have represented to me is a replacement for the ritual and almost the religious experiences and the community that I experienced as a child. I'm, I'm wondering if you are aware of that, the importance of this statue to a community that maybe isn't religious, but has its own rituals, its own traditions, its own values, you know, that gather together in the same building and sing the same songs. I mean, it is a quasi-religious community. Well, first of all, the spiritualism exists in all religions. Native American, Islam, Christianity, Hebrew, you know, the Judaica, uh, uh, of course, in, in the 
Hindu, uh, you name it. Every, every religion is seeking for spiritualism of such a kind. Now, uh, I, I'm staying away from religion at all. I'm looking for the human spirit as a, as a spirit, uh, uh, as, as a human form. And, and that's actually why we chose to name the Michael Jordan the spirit. Because you're looking at a person who was not the tallest, not the strongest, not the fastest, uh, but he was the spirit of the team. And when you get a spirit like this, like Kobe was uh, in point of time or or other players, or, or if you're looking at the Warriors, uh, uh, you know, they, when they when they used to play in their top, you, you can find it in every team that if you have the the spirit person forward and leader and leadership and, and make sense out of it, it's beyond sport. It becomes spiritual act. And uh, what that's where I'm coming as an artist and, and try to sift out of that and see what we can do as a human form beyond the normal uh, daily mundane and create something inspirational for everybody. You've just described um, Dustin Brown as he was described by his teammates on that night. Um, and even he in his speech talked about the importance of the banners that went up without his name, meaning the Stanley Cup champion banners, um, being more important to him than the ones with his name on them. And I think that Dustin Brown, with his commitment after the period of his sport time, into what he's doing today just to prove it every day. You know, that he's not just giving up and going home or going fishing somewhere. He's committed <laughs> for the human society. He is. He is at that. You've uh, referred to to athletes as artists in various interviews that I've seen. Were you ever... I refer... Sorry, go ahead. I, I, refer, I refer to every human being who understand the differences that we, the step that we took from the animals in every field that try to make better and extend the human link of knowledge to become an artist. It could be accountant. It could be a car racer or car creator. It could be a magician. And of course it could be a, a chirographer or, or dancer or photographer or anybody on earth that's pushing the limit and give us a chance to become better society, extend the limit into a creative level, he is an artist. Do you make any distinction between artistry and craftsmanship? Yes, definitely. What is that? In the, well, in, the, in Italy, in the old days, like in Pira Santa, where Julie and I met and uh, grew into the marble in that time, you have to understand, when everybody went into the era of computers and algorithm, we went back to the Stone Age to carve marble <laughs> in 1985. So, so we took step back into the Stone Age to come back and try to go into the AI age. So it, it, it's kind of, a, kind of a little paradox, but, but you make sense when you, when you deal with, with a with a foundation, you're going back to the foundation. It's like a boot camp that you grow up from there. So uh, 
you know, in Italy, in the old days, there were many, many little kids. And they would bring them into work in very early stage. And one was only good to break stones. So he became a sbozzatora to a level of breaking the rock to a level, certain level. One was very polishing. So he became like architectural maker. Another one was uh, like to create the wings. So he became the artista who created the wings, the flower, etc. And few of them became really the creator, the artist. And one of a kind became Michelangelo. So, so it took a while to sift who willing to be the craftsman on specific job versus the artist who's willing to take everything and create the next step. And, and that's exactly, uh, what happening today between a craftsmanship in all level, in computer, in stone, in movies, in everything. Uh, some people has to do, and myself, one of them who has to wake up in the morning and go and become both craftsmen and artists. Some people choose to become craftsmen because they didn't find their quality as an artist in life. It doesn't have to be in the same field that they're working in. But in every one of us has a court of genius. Every human being has something that they have to find. And that's the encouragement we have to give them to go forward, to find themselves and find their quality to contribute to the human society. I'm looking right now at your statue of Ted Lindsay in Detroit, and I believe it's Gordie Howe. And you created, I'm not sure if you created, but but you put into some of your work something that I had never seen before, which is the illusion of motion by repeating physical properties. So, for example, you have the stick existing in multiple spots through the player's carry-through, and you have sort of blur lines coming from the arm. And it's in the 50th anniversary statue as well, as the players throughout history sort of all blend into Dustin Brown lifting the cup at the end. Is that a style that you originated, or did you see that somewhere else and put it into your work? No, this is part of what we de developed in uh, 1999. And, and uh, I remember that when we talked to John Buffon, the architect in, uh, in Detroit, it, the, the statement is said that uh, after the review of our drawing, he, he told me, you know, I talked to Mike, big guy, you know, Mike Illich, the owner of, <laughs> uh, of the Det Detroit Tigers and the Red Wings and the little Caesar. And, and the way he replaced, he told him, you know, I don't understand what those guys do in it, but it's so wonderful. Just let them do what they do. And, and it, it, that's what, that's what would become of it. It become like, let the artist do the creative element. And, uh, one day you would look at this in a different way. And you know what it, you remind me something that, that, uh, is one of the best example. And I think it was, uh, some years ago when it was the Olympic in London or whatever, the ice Olympic. And suddenly the uh, TV started to come with uh, uh, commercials for representing the ice uh, Olympic Games. And suddenly I'm looking at, at, com at computer illustration 
that artists in the computer did for the representation of the Olympics that has the hockey player in motion with the sticks, just like the sculpture of the Red Wings. Mm. And, uh, and I looked at the TV and I said, uh, oh, they got it. <laughs> Wonderful. Inspiration can come from anywhere, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, we're all contribute, contributing, you know. In the beginning, Elon Musk said, you know, take my ideas and use it for the world. Let's advance the world all together. So how do, how do you become the sort of official sculptor of an entire building? I mean, I, I don't know how many of the sculptures outside, but I know you did Chick Hearn, Magic Johnson, your wife did Luke Robitaille, you've done Dustin Brown, the 50th anniversary, I believe Magic Johnson and Jerry West as well. Yeah, well, first of all, it's not my fault only. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Julie and I partnered uh, since 1985 and developed this uh, uh, studio and museum in, in uh, Fort Sheridan, Illinois, in Highwood, Illinois. And we have with us uh, 7 to 10, sometimes 15 artists that some of them were our students and become masters. So if you're looking at the sculptures around Staples, uh, Sean and I did the Dustin Brown and Julie Tamara and I did the Champion Wall and Gary and I did uh, 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 Magic Johnson and, and uh, 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 I think other piece there. I mean, I mean we all we all teamed on a different pieces, so we're teams. I as an immigrant, I can say I had the rights to come to this country, it doesn't mean that I try to become, uh, how would I say, conquer elements. I came and joined and brought in, bring people together, bring artists together, and, and we're creating the future history of the nation. If you're looking after 300 projects we've done actually worldwide, but mostly in the United States, uh, we're putting the history in the land in, in many different ways, not just in sport, also in memorials, uh, in parks, in many, many different ways. I mean, if you're looking at, uh, at Los Angeles, we got Napoleon Dynamite and the 20th Century Fox. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a statement in itself, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. Uh, one final question before I let you go. The the amount of detail on the Stanley Cup in the statue of Dustin Brown uh, is pretty intense. Uh, how did you – were you given an audience with the cup? Were you allowed to, to have it in the studio or did you have to just go off of photos? No, no, no. We, we, we work with photos with no, knowledge that we can, we're not allowed to replicate the cup. Okay. We, we can create – something that will represent the cup in kind of abstract way that doesn't have the names. And uh, because in the arts, if you do something different, you're allowed to do that. If you replicate, you obligate for corporate uh, agreements and mm -hmm. lawyers and you name and never end. So, so what we did, we, we looked at the cup and we create a simulation fact that give you the resemblance to say, yeah, that's the cup. I mean, it's got the, uh, the little logo on the bottom of it is, is what caught my eye was the first thing I saw. Right. But you don't have names. You, you have right. lots of things that, that created there in a, almost like, uh, 
ancient Persian or Assyrian writing instead of uh, <laughs> sure. uh, English or whatever. <laughs> yeah, some, some, so, 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 something from the cuneiform era. Right. <laughs> well, listen, Omri, I will let you get back uh, to your studio. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Seth.